Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinock, and today we're going to talk about a very interesting case called Bournemouth against the County of Jackson, involving the question of whether county officials can constitutionally lead out in prayer before a public meeting. And here to discuss the case is Washington, D.C.-based attorney Gregory Lipper. Greg, welcome to Freedom's Ring today. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, I gather that you filed a brief uh, opposing this particular practice. Can you tell us why? Sure. So a bit of background about me. So I've been in private practice for about a year at a small litigation boutique uh, named Clinton, Brook and Pede. But before that, I was at uh, I spent five and a half years as a lawyer at Americans United for separation of church and state. And this case has been going on for several years. And so when I was back at Americans United, when this case went on appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, we, Americans United, filed a friend of the court brief supporting Mr. Bormuth and arguing that this particular prayer practice was unconstitutional. And although the Supreme Court has said... Greg, start by explaining exactly what was the practice at issue. So, so the practice at issue here is, I think, creates much greater problems for religious liberty than the garden variety practice of prayer before legislative meetings for a couple of reasons. The first thing is... Well, start by explaining what exactly is the religious practice here. Right. And so so the practice here involves the county commissioners before each meeting, one of the members of the county commission um, will offer a prayer. Because all of the county commissioners are Christian, virtually all of the prayers involved have been Christian. And what state is this in? Uh, this is in the state of Michigan. In Michigan. Okay, because Jackson is one of those names that could be anywhere. I somehow think Mississippi. But Yeah, there's like a Jackson County in like every state in the union, I think. Um, the other thing, though, that's important, it's not just that the county commissioners themselves are standing up and delivering Christian prayers to the very citizens who will, in a few moments, be petitioning those various county commissioners for relief. But the other thing that's going on, and what's a very serious problem, is that the chair of the county commission is asking audience members to rise and often to bow their heads or assume a reverent position. And so it's not only that the county commissioners are delivering Christian prayers, but the county chair is instructing the citizens attending to participate in those prayers. So I can understand if um, if someone is not a Christian, let's say they're Jewish or Muslim, and they're invited to join in a Christian prayer, uh, that might make them feel a bit uncomfortable, feel like uh, they're clearly a second-class citizen. They're not of the in-group. Um, and so I can see that that's an issue, but that would be an issue whether it was the county commissioner inviting them to do that or a, a chaplain or a pastor from the community that comes in and asks them to do that. So how do you relate to that in the context of this case? Well, so a couple of things. I mean, 
I will say, you know, I'll tell you my own view and then I'll tell you what the Supreme Court has said. So and let me start with the Supreme Court. Um, when I was at Americans United, we actually litigated a case in the Supreme Court in which the town invited guest chaplains to deliver the prayers. And the Supreme Court said that unless there is intentional discrimination or some other things going on, as a general matter, the practice of inviting guest chaplains to deliver prayers is not a First Amendment violation, does not violate the Establishment Clause. But they said that the issue would be different if the government officials themselves were instructing citizens to stand or participate. So the Supreme Court has distinguished specifically between instructions to stand or participate from guest chaplains on the one hand and instructions to stand or participate from government officials on the other. And I, um, I think that's I think that's an important distinction. And you know, Greg, I kind of compare it to, you know, mine and probably yours is the minority position in the Trinity Lutheran church case that got handed down. And people keep asking me, what's the difference between giving money to a church to buy playground equipment and providing police and fire protection? And I think it's the same distinction. Uh, police and fire protection, you're not actually, you know, money's not changing hands, right. giving it directly to the church. You know, the state here is directly funding religion, and in the Bormuth case, the state officials are the ones who are actually engaging in the religious practice. They're not just having somebody from the community come in and exercise their religion. The state is promoting the religious practice. Exactly. I think there are two concerns with um, practices like these. The first is, as you said, that people in the audience, you know, either people of minority faiths or just Christians who don't happen to agree with the particular message being set forth in the prayer are made to feel like second class citizens. But then there's even a more practical problem, which is uh, oftentimes if I'm attending one of these local county meetings, I'm there for a reason. I'm there because I need something from the government officials. I might be there to ask for a zoning variance or for a license to open my business or to ask for, you know, more parking for people with disabilities or, you know, improvements to the local park that my kids play at or whatever. And so there's already this concern that if you do not participate in the prayer as instructed, that when you then two minutes later stand up to ask those same government officials for something, um, they may hold that against you. And in this case, in particular, there's even greater reason to fear that kind of religious coercion. And that gets to what happened to Mr. Gormuth when he stood up and raised concerns about the prayer practice. When he first stood up and asked the commission to change the way it was doing the practice, one of the commissioners actually turned his back on Mr. Gormuth. And then when he filed his lawsuit, one of the commissioners called him a nitwit. And then Another uh, commissioner warned against allowing invited guests, in other words, switching to that system of guest chaplains, because he was concerned that someone would come in and express non-Christian religious beliefs. And another commissioner described the lawsuit, and this is a quote, as a, quote, an attack on Christianity and an attack on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and then a final thing is that after he filed the lawsuit, Mr. Bormuth applied to be a member of a... Um, environmental commission. And even though he had a, a lot of experience with those issues, he was denied membership on the commission. Of course, that's uh, America at its best. Right. And so all of these factors beyond just the general coercion created by the practice 
all of these factors send the message loud and clear that if you are not on board with the commissioner's Christian prayer practices, they are very much going to hold it against you. And, you know, imagine what you would think if you're a Jew or a Muslim or a Sikh or an atheist. Uh, and, you know, you know, I'm showing up at this meeting next month. I need a license to open my new business. But three minutes before I ask for that license, I'm going to be asked to participate in this Christian prayer. And I know that if I don't, the commissioners might hold it against me. And that's the situation that's being created by this prayer practice. And it goes well beyond anything that the Supreme Court has previously allowed. You know, Greg, listening to more of the facts of this case, I'm reminded that uh, I have often observed that for too many Americans, religious freedom means the freedom to believe as I do. Right. The freedom to believe as I do. Right. And I think this case is a really good illustration. You know, we're going to hear from the other side. We're going to do a, a radio show with uh, someone who argued the other side of this case. And I like to do that. I like to give our listeners a chance to understand different perspectives on these issues. I'm not afraid, you know, to consider the different points of view. But to me, this is a classic example where, you know, the county commissioner's attitude is, wait a minute. You know, this is a Christian place. You know, this is a Christian nation. This is a, a county where Christians here. And, you know, we're going to pray in Jesus' name, right. you know, however we see fit. And if you don't like it, you know, we get to call you names. We get to call you nitwit. Right. You know, you, you're persona non grata. If you don't like how we do things here, you know, go live somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, because it's in Michigan, I think it's, you know, interesting to just present a hypothetical and change the facts a little. You know, Michigan has a, a fairly significant Muslim-American population. Imagine if the county commissioners in, say, Dearborn, Michigan, began were, were majority Muslim and began each meeting um, by inviting everyone in the audience to stand up and face Mecca and then delivered a Muslim prayer. And then if someone objected, um, the county commissioners said this was an attack on Islam and on the Prophet Muhammad. And if that happened, you can be sure that the very people supporting the commissioners in the Bormuth case would be complaining about, you know, Sharia law and how dare they impose their religion on us. And I think it does go back to the point of that it can be very difficult to, um, if you're a member of a minority religion, it can be very difficult to put yourself in the shoes of a member of a religious minority. But if a Christian would feel uncomfortable in the situation that I just described, involving a majority Muslim commission, um, then imagine how, you know, a Muslim or a Sikh or a Jew or an atheist or an agnostic or a pagan, as in Mr. Bormuth's case, would feel in the situation going on in Jackson County. Well, and, you know, the historic reality is that the Americans who today identify in some sense as evangelicals um, have been religious minorities throughout most of the history of, of Christianity. Yep. Um, and, you know, if we can't understand that the genius of American religious freedom is the commitment to pluralism, the commitment to religious neutrality, and everybody gets to believe and worship and practice according to their own religion, and the government stays out of it and treats us all with respect and doesn't play favorites with anybody, you know, that's what has worked so well for the last couple of centuries. Exactly. Could not agree more. So this case was in the Federal Court of Appeals. How did the court rule? Well, so uh, 
the case was initially argued before a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. So when I was back at Americans United, I actually argued it on behalf of Americans United. Mr. Bormuth argued it pro se because he was representing himself and the county had a lawyer arguing it. So the panel ruled, this was uh, earlier this year, the panel ruled two to one that they didn't say the practice definitively violated the First Amendment, but it basically said that the case needed to go to trial. Because if you look at the facts, it was arising under what's called the summary judgment standard, which means in order to determine whether the case goes to trial, you have to look at the facts. And if the facts are most favorable um, to the person against whom the motion is filed and they would show a constitutional violation, then the case has to go to trial. And what the Sixth Circuit said was, a finder of facts, if they found certain facts, could certainly conclude that this practice violated the First Amendment Establishment Clause. After that panel issued that decision, the full Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals um, voted to rehear the case, what's called en banc. Basically, they have the entire Sixth Circuit hear the case, uh, and that was argued uh, before the full Sixth Circuit a week or two ago. So we're waiting for the full Sixth Circuit to issue a decision. I mean, I think for my side, it is definitely a bad sign when the full court decides it wants to rehear a case that you won in front of the panel. It suggests that the full court wants to reach a different result, and the Sixth Circuit is a, as a whole is a fairly conservative court. We will definitely want to stay tuned. We're out of time. Our guest today, Attorney Greg Lipper, we've been talking about the case of Bormuth versus the County of Jackson, whether county commissioners can lead out in prayer. Greg, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. My pleasure. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We represent those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, folks, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ronach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom ring.